Always welcome to stay with their parents if they'd like, but uh, I think they like to go to class. May the Lord bless them and those that teach them. Amen? Praise God. Well, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 18 this morning. And I want to start by asking a couple of questions. The first question is this. How many of us need forgiveness? All, right? All, and that means all. How many of us need to forgive others? All of us, without exception. And today we're going to look at that topic, the topic of forgiveness, from a biblical perspective including what is forgiveness and what forgiveness is not and how we forgive, the promise, the process, and the goal. The concept of forgiveness is not foreign to any of us because we have been forgiven so much by God. Our problem far too often is that either we haven't recognized and acknowledged the unforgiveness that is in our heart, or we simply have not made the choice to forgive. That's right, forgiveness is a choice. And as we will see, it is also commanded by our Lord. But it is still our choice to obey and to forgive. In urging us to choose the path of forgiveness, God is not saying that what has happened to us isn't bad or doesn't hurt or isn't as bad as you might make it out to be. What you have suffered is real. But as we will see whatever sin has been committed against us, the choice not to forgive is itself a serious sin. In fact, unforgiveness puts us into bondage and can bring about greater pain over time than the original offense. So let us start by looking at a question that was asked of Jesus by one of his disciples regarding his need to forgive others. And let's look at Jesus' surprising example. So in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22, is where we're going to start today. And in this text, we find Jesus with his disciples in Capernaum, teaching them on several topics regarding how we should live as citizens of the kingdom of God, how we should live as his followers. In verses 15 through 20, Jesus spoke about what we call church discipline or how to deal with a brother or sister who sins against us or against others. And this topic then leads to the question posed by 
Peter. If you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's word. This is God's word to us. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Peter wants to know how many times we are to forgive our brother and sister if they continue to sin against them. And in the original language here, it implies that it's the same sin over and over again. The Jewish rabbis taught that the Jewish people needed to forgive up to three times for the same offense. This was based on their understanding of several verses from the book of Amos where God forgave Israel's enemies only three times. And then the fourth time, he dropped the hammer on them. So Peter probably thought he was being gracious by saying seven times, more than double what the Jewish rabbis taught. Peter is asking the question, does Forgiveness have limits. Is there a limit on how many times I must forgive my brother or sister? Jesus' answer was surprising and probably shocking to his disciples. He multiplies the seven by ten and then the seven again. So Jesus' answer, 490 times. You should forgive your brother 490 times for the same offense against you. Meaning... There's no limit. There's no limit to the number of times that we should forgive others. How can we be expected to do that? Just continue to forgive when they continue to sin against us. How? How is that possible? Well, to answer that question, Jesus tells a parable to illustrate for us the reason we should forgive others who sin against us. Look at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. 
he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers or torturers, depending on your translation, until he should pay all his debt. Verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now note this, Jesus begins by saying that this parable reveals truths regarding the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, the king in the parable represents God, and you and I are the servants. Each servant owed a great debt to the king, but one in particular owed an incredible amount. 10,000 talents. As R.C. Sproul said, that's millions of dollars. A talent represented about 20 years' wages. So this represents an infinite debt, a debt that cannot be repaid, not possible. So this servant can only beg for mercy and grace. And the king grants it, forgives his entire debt, wipes the slate clean. But after being forgiven an infinite debt, he goes out and throws one of his servants into prison for a debt of 100 denarii. When the king heard about this servant refusing to show mercy upon another, Refusing to forgive his debt, he reversed his decision and had him cast into debtor's prison for the rest of his life. And then Jesus concludes this parable with this statement. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you, his disciples, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is telling us clearly that those who have been forgiven much must also forgive others. Those who are forgiven will forgive. Our King, our Lord, has set the example for us regarding forgiveness. We have all sinned against our Creator, against our Lord. And we have sinned an infinite number of times, both in deed and in thought, and we continue to do so. And listen, these sins are no small matter. We tend to minimize our sins 
and we tend to maximize the sins of others. That's part of our fallen human nature. But remember, each sin represents cosmic treason against our king, against our ruler. A single sin, according to God, requires the death penalty. Each one of us, therefore, owes a debt that we literally cannot pay. Our debt of sin would result in eternal imprisonment, eternal conscious punishment in that place prepared for unrepentant sinners. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever repents and believes in him should not be imprisoned, but have eternal life with him. How glorious is that? Amen? How is that possible? How can God simply forgive our great debt and be just in doing it? Well, he can do so because he sent his own son to suffer in our place and to die to pay the debt that we owed. The Apostle Paul writes about this in his letter to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we read these words. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. All means all. Having canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Who was nailed to the cross? Christ was. But Paul says, with Christ, all of our sins were nailed to the cross because he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took my sins. Steve M. Wadley. Every sin I have committed, am committing, will commit. He took that list. We don't have room. And he took it upon himself. And it was nailed to the cross. And it was stamped, paid in full. Hallelujah, what a Savior. This is the gospel. We owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And by his death and burial and resurrection, our slate has been wiped clean. Our bill has been stamped, paid in full. How glorious is that? So if our king has done this for us, 
And as a result, he forgives the great debt that we owe. How can we then not forgive others? That's the point of this parable. And so, I'm going to say to you this morning that forgiveness is commanded by God for all of those who have been forgiven. Jesus taught on this subject several times. Those are recorded in scripture for us. I want to look at just a few examples of this. Starting with Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, if I'm already saved, if I've already received salvation through putting my faith in Jesus Christ, and then I fail to extend forgiveness, does that mean I'm going to lose my salvation? No. We know that is not what Paul is saying here. We know that we cannot be taken out of the hands of Jesus. What Paul is saying here is, if a person claims to be a follower of Christ, if a person claims to be a Christian, and yet they absolutely refuse to forgive, then guess what? They've not experienced forgiveness. They're not converted. Because if they were in Christ, their nature now would be to forgive. Look at what he says in Mark 11, verses 25. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Again, Jesus is tying here the fact that if we've been forgiven, we're going to be forgivers. And Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So is forgiveness commanded in Scripture? We all say it? Yes. No question, no doubt, four times at least Jesus commands that we forgive others. Even if they sin against us over and over again, even in the same day, and they repent and ask for forgiveness, we should forgive. It's not optional. It's expected that those of us who have been shown mercy and forgiveness will then extend that to others. So what is forgiveness? That's a good question, isn't it? Forgiveness is a promise. Forgiveness is a promise to never hold that sin against that person. A promise to never bring up that sin again. Not to that person, nor to anyone else. It is a deliberate decision to deal with another person's sin against us by doing away with it. 
by canceling it out, by pressing the delete button. And this is exactly what God says that he does for all who trust in him, for all who call upon him for forgiveness. Isaiah 43, 25, God says this, I, even I, am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, does God forget anything? No. So when he says, I will not remember your sins, what he's saying is, I will not hold them against you. I will not remember them against you. I will make a conscious decision not to hold you responsible. Very similarly, the prophet Jeremiah, again, writing God's words, Jeremiah 31, 34. God says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So God here promises that for all of us who call upon his son for salvation, he will blot out our sins. He never forgets, but he promises not to remember our sins. In other words, not to hold them against us. Wow. How great is his mercy and grace towards us. How glorious is his promise of forgiveness we are freed from the infinite debt that we owe before our king well what about us what is forgiveness of others supposed to look like according to God's word well God tells us what do you know Colossians 3 verses 12 and 13 We read these words. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Now in the ESV, English Standard Version, it leaves the just off. That's why it's italicized there. You find that in the New American Standard Version, which in my humble opinion, lines up with the Greek. The word there literally means either just as or in the same way, in the same manner. So what Paul is saying to us is that our forgiveness should mirror God's forgiveness. Our forgiveness should be in a similar manner to the way God forgives. In other words, those who have been shown mercy will show mercy. And those who have been forgiven much will forgive much. Look at Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Again, Paul writing, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another 
just as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, those who have been shown mercy will show mercy. And those who have been forgiven much will forgive much. What is forgiveness? It's a choice. It's a choice of the will, whereby we promise to never hold that sin against a person. A promise not to remember their sin, not to bring it up again to them or to anyone else. C.S. Lewis writes this, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. Nancy Lee DeMoss, in her book by the same title as my sermon, which is excellent, by the way, (laughs) writes this, Our Lord would not command us to do something that he would not enable us to do or that he has not done. Jesus is the example for us, isn't he? And Jesus empowers us to be able to follow his example. One more quote. We who have been forgiven must forgive. That's by Pastor Steve Wadley. I left the best for last. What is forgiveness? It is a choice of the will whereby we promise to never hold that sin against a person. A promise not to remember their sin, not to bring it up again to them or to anyone else. That's forgiveness. Now, what forgiveness is not? Because there's been a lot of teaching about forgiveness that is not biblical. So let me just mention quickly what forgiveness is not. First of all, it's not based on feelings. We do it to obey our Lord, not because we feel like it. If you wait till you feel like forgiving someone, you probably never will. It's not based on our feelings. We do it out of love for our Savior and obedience to our Savior. We do it to bring glory to our Savior. And let me tell you something. You forgive someone, and you let them know they're forgiven, that will open up a door for you to share the gospel with that person. I guarantee it, because they're not used to that. Secondly, it's not based on forgetting. We may never forget the offense. That's just the reality of it. Depending on the severity of the offense, you may never forget it. Because you remember it, does that mean you can't forgive? Absolutely not. As we said earlier, God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget any of our sins. But he chooses not to hold them against us. Number three... Forgiveness is not denying or minimizing the offense. It's not pretending it never happened. It's embracing the fact that it happened and yet extending forgiveness for it. 
Number four, forgiveness does not include preventing the consequences of the sin. In other words, it doesn't mean that you don't hold that person legally responsible for their sins. There's oftentimes a need for that person to face the legal consequences of their sin. But that doesn't mean we can't forgive. And number five, it doesn't mean we're required to trust the offender. Forgiveness has to be earned. Excuse me, forgiveness doesn't have to be earned. Trust has to be earned. We can forgive. That doesn't mean we put ourselves in a situation to be hurt by that person in the same manner. Okay? That's very important. So, those are things forgiveness is not. So, that brings us to the question, how then do we forgive? And I'm going to share with you that, in my humble opinion... Forgiveness has three stages. It begins with the promise of forgiveness. And this is where we most often think of forgiveness. It is a promise. So forgiveness is, as we said earlier, a choice of the will whereby we promise to never hold that sin against a person. So in most cases, a brother or sister comes to us, repents, apologizes, Ask for forgiveness. Now, they might not use those identical words. That would be nice if we got into that uh, habit of when we offend somebody, don't just say, I'm sorry. I mean, that's nice that you're sorry. Okay? Um, But what we should say is, please forgive me. Right? That's really what we should be asking for is forgiveness. So, In most cases, a brother or sister repents. They come to you. They ask for forgiveness. We are then to promise to forgive. And as I said earlier, we do this in obedience to our Lord. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit within us and the love of Christ that is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. This empowers us to be obedient to God's commandments, to do that which pleases and glorifies Him. We make a promise. I forgive you. We don't even have to pray about this. You don't respond to that person saying, you know, I'll pray about that and I'll get back to you. No, God commands it. What is there to pray for? It is his will for us. We already know that he has forgiven us and that we are to forgive just as we have been forgiven. So we enter into a promise before God. Note that. It's not just a promise to that person. It's a promise made before God. That promise is not to hold their sin against them and not to bring it up again. It's interesting that 
um, I can remember in several counseling situations where somebody has come to me for counseling and they begin by saying, this person did this to me and I have forgiven them. And then they go on to list all the times that person has done this to them. There's something wrong there. (laughs) Because forgiveness includes not bringing it up again. And so if you've truly forgiven, if the slate's been wiped clean, how are you reading off the slate to me? And yet we do this in interpersonal relationships. And so that brings us to this question. Is the promise to forgive the end of the matter? Well, unfortunately, the answer is no. Because we are fallen, sinful people living in a fallen and sinful world. And our flesh does not want to forgive. Our flesh does not want to honor God. Our flesh is not redeemed. Secondly, Satan does not want us to forgive or honor God. Third, the world does not want us to forgive or honor God. So as soon as we promise to forgive, we enter into a spiritual battle. So what follows next is what I call the process of forgiveness. So we've made the promise to forgive. And as soon as we do that, we enter into the process of forgiveness. This is a process whereby we live out our promise to forgive. Battling against our own fleshly desire for vengeance, the enemy's desire for us to sin against God, and the world telling us to stand up for yourself and don't let others get away with what they've done to us. Isn't that what the world says? And listen to me. If we're going to be honest with each other, that's what our own flesh says. Our own flesh says, he's done this over and over and over. You can't let him get away with it. You can't just overlook it. You can't just wipe the slate clean. He'll just keep on doing it. How many times are we to forgive? An infinite number of times. Because we've been given an infinite number of times that we've been forgiven. So we enter into a spiritual battle to continue now in forgiveness. To complete the process. What does that look like? It's a matter of taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, just as we're told to do in 2 Corinthians 10, 15. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's where the spiritual battles take place, right here, between our two ears, in our unredeemed brains. And it looks like this. Each time we are reminded of that person's sin against us, 
we remind ourselves of the promise that we made before God to forgive said sin and not to hold it against him. We refuse to bring it up to them. We refuse to talk about it to anybody else. We refuse to allow it to prevent us from showing love and grace towards that person. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we continue to pray for that person. And ask our Lord to help us to forgive. As we count on his grace and the power of his spirit to help us through this process of forgiveness. No matter how long that takes. Now I shared this morning in Sunday school that. I had an individual in my life that I found it extremely difficult because of repeated sins in my life and in the life of my family. That person was my stepfather. And even though I was a Christian, for the first 20 years of my Christian life, more like 30 years. I've been a Christian now for 52 years by the grace of God. For the first 20 or 30 years, I did not understand forgiveness at all. Was never taught it. Never understood what the Bible said about this. And so, I did not forgive. And it built a wall between us. Now, in my mind... He was the one that built the wall because of the offenses. But in reality, it was me who built the wall because I didn't let go of those offenses. And it wasn't until he was in a hospital room dying that finally that wall got torn down because finally God brought me to the place of understanding I needed to forgive as I had been forgiven. And so I know I'm not the only person in this room who's experienced this. I know I'm not the only person who failed to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, who failed to continue to pray for that person and failed to pray that God would help me to forgive, help me to put that sin aside. So it's a process until we finally reach the state of forgiveness. And that's the goal, the state of forgiveness. The point at which we are no longer affected when we remember or are reminded of that person's sin against us. It does not mean that we've forgotten the offense. That may never happen this side of glory. It means that we're no longer negatively impacted by it. It means that by God's grace and his love and his divine power working in us and our obedience, we've moved on. And we're no longer held captive by unforgiveness. It means that we have become more like Jesus. We are never more like Jesus than when we forgive. 
To err is human. To forgive is divine. Forgiveness is supernatural. It is something that only God can do. It's far beyond our ability to accomplish it. But all who have become His children and are indwelt by His Spirit and have available to them the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, by His enabling power, we can forgive others with the same grace and forgiveness that we have received from Christ for our sins. And when we do, we are set free from the bondage that we have placed upon ourselves, from the prison of unforgiveness. That day, many, many years ago, in that hospital room, the tears flowed from my eyes and from his as I told him that I forgave him for all of those offenses. And I asked his Forgiveness for my unforgiveness, which had led to me offending him. And it was granted. And I was set free. So choose it. Choose to forgive. Don't wait until you feel like it. Or don't wait until you figure out how it's all going to work out. Just do it. Step out in faith, knowing that this pleases our Heavenly Father and that He will help you through the process until you finally reach the state of utter forgiveness and are are free. When you can see that person and the first thing that comes to your mind is not the offense, when you can see that person and have love for them, have grace towards them, that's the goal. So that offense no longer causes us pain. God will help you through this process. He never, ever commands us to do something that He does not enable us to do through His power. That is at work within us. Let me close with one more quote. This is from Pastor John MacArthur. Forgiveness unleashes joy. It brings peace. It washes the slate clean. It sets the highest values of love into motion. In a sense, forgiveness is Christianity at its highest level level we're never more like Jesus than when we forgive we who have been forgiven much must forgive much let's pray Heavenly Father thank you for this opportunity for us to be reminded today of your great forgiveness of us we cannot even fathom the debt that Jesus paid for us on the cross. We have not even finished 
adding to that debt as of yet because we are still sinners. We are still sinning daily. And yet, Father God, you have wiped the slate clean because of the price that your son paid for our sins. Help us to be like him. Help us to glorify you, Father, in forgiving one another, forgiving others, promising not to hold their sin against them, and working through the process of reaching that state of forgiveness. Help us in this, we pray, Father God. For it is our desire, Lord, to be like you. So help us, Lord, to forgive as we have been forgiven. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.